Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and joining us today from Colorado is Scott Strode, the founder of Phoenix Multisports. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So, tell us just a little bit about how you got started. And, you know, your TEDx Mile High presentation in particular, you, you brought up a few different points that I think kind of form the foundation for this discussion. Can, can we start there? Um, so, you know, I, I'm in long-term recovery myself, and Actually, on April 8th, it'll be 20 years uh, clean and sober. Um, and I grew up, you know, grew up in Pennsylvania. And my addiction started pretty early on, and and I was actually using addiction as a way to, to numb the pain from some early childhood trauma. And uh, grew up in in and around alcoholism, and, and uh, sort of was off and running at a very young age. Age you know, started using. About drinking at 11 and using at 15. Um, and, and as I went around, along my addiction journey, uh, it just got worse and worse. And finally got sober in Boston, Massachusetts. But, um, you know, getting into the boxing gym for me was, was this positive coping mechanism, a way I could release some of this energy uh, that I had as a young person. And, and and also, I found a fellowship there that supported me in recovery. There were a couple other sober guys in that boxing gym, and that was the beginning of my own recovery journey. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of how Phoenix started. It didn't have a name at that point, but but it was the, the seedlings of the program. So that was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2007 was when you decided to found Phoenix Multisport. Yeah. Yeah, and at that point, it was just my own my own journey. But I but I realized as I you know got into triathlon and climbing and all these other activities that I was you know starting to repair some of that self esteem damage that was it was done in my early childhood because of you know growing up in an environment that was less than nurturing and, and so you know I, I just thought we have to get this to other people because I saw so many people uh, in in recovery, not just early recovery, but in recovery that we're still um, having trouble kind of finding a rich, full life in sobriety. So, 
you had this idea, you, you know, the, the, you found that this really worked for you. But taking, taking it from that level, the individual level, to thousands of others, that's a huge step, a huge leap. How the heck did you make that, that leap? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, you know, keeping in mind that this was, um, that the organization started about 10 years ago, there really wasn't much out there for recovery support. There was formal treatment um, and some aftercare programs, but after that, you were sort of sent out into the abyss of recovery, the, you know, the pat on your back and a good luck. And if you didn't find the right 12-step fellowship uh, right away, then you really had nothing to support you. And, and so I thought it was critical to kind of get this to as many people as possible. So from the beginning, we wanted it to be national. And, and I just sort of pulled together a core group of people and we began to put shape to the program. And the idea is that anyone who's 48 hours clean and sober can come to a Phoenix multi-sport event. They have to adhere to a code of conduct, which is designed to frame a supportive and nurturing environment. Um, but they try sports and activities like yoga, climbing, biking, hiking. And, and at Phoenix, we believe that that every time we stand on top of a mountain or cross a finish line, that that self-esteem stuff heals a little bit. And the really key part of the program is the community that you're sharing that experience with because that becomes your recovery support network and helps you on the journey to long-term recovery. So 48 hours, gosh, that's just such a short period of time. So it would seem like that almost causes a bigger challenge for you. And, and what I mean by that is you've got a bunch of people in recovery out there and they're starting to kind of climb up that mountain, so to speak. And by bringing in people that are just so, so new to recovery, isn't that a little bit of a risk? I think it is to some degree. I think that um, the challenge is we want people to be able to, we want to lower the barriers to access. You know, that's why the program's free. Um, because it doesn't matter sort of what your economic situation is or what your insurance is or any of that, you can still access Phoenix. And, and um, we want you to be able to dip your toe in the water. So if you can just get off drinking or drugging for, for 48 hours, you can show up. And what you're going to find is this accepting, welcoming community that, that believes in you until you believe in yourself. And they kind of scoop you up and, you, know, you try this activity, maybe it's rock climbing, and you walk out smiling and laughing and you had fun um, and kind of woke up that dopamine part of the brain in a, in a healthy, natural way. And, and even if you go out and use the next day in reflection, you realize, like, I can have this, I can have a life where I'm loved and accepted, and there's this group out there that believes in me, and, and I don't have to keep going to the drink and the drug to kind of try to find that that numbing of the pain. Okay. And the code of conduct, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. You've looked, Jess, you've looked at the code of conduct and everything. You guys have, have talked about that before. What about that concept? From day one, you've got this code of conduct. How's that work? Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. I, yeah, sure. I think of the code of conduct as sort of a handrail for people to hold on to, to kind of guide them into how they can be 
feel accepted and at Phoenix, but also supportive of other people. And I think it's pretty, it's pretty basic stuff. It basically says anything that isn't nurturing isn't welcome. So anything that's racist, sexist, homophobic, in any way threatening isn't welcome at Phoenix. Um, that we want to be thoughtful and kind to other people there. Um, you know, that Phoenix isn't a dating club. You know, the primary reason to be there is for recovery support. And the idea is we're trying to create an environment where where you come in, you can let down your guard a little bit and shed that armor and, and feel supported. And Jess, you've had a chance to, to witness this. You've been out to one of Scott's facilities. Tell us a little bit about that. I have. I got to participate, actually. I, um, I joined Scott um, at the Phoenix Multisport Chapter in Boston and went to a yoga class, and it was pretty amazing. Um, we're just seeing everyone come together um, and the programs that were available and just sort of the, the general feel and the interactions of how people treat one another. It is very welcoming and supportive and you can see how this is a huge asset to folks in recovery um, in each of the communities that are lucky enough to have Phoenix. And the other, other thing um, that I am so intrigued by about Phoenix um, is so much of what we need for individuals in recovery is very similar to what works to prevent substance use in the first place. Um, these are risk and protective factors and stuff. It's very similar risk factors that can put someone's recovery at risk um, as can put an adolescent at risk, um, uh, sort of in general. And the same protective factors that protect these individuals are the same. And if you, you look at Phoenix from that perspective, it has a, a few, not just one, but four really key protective factors that I think are so important for individuals in recovery, particularly those individuals new on their recovery path. Um, this is where you want to be and what you want um, to be connected to at 48 hours, at one week sober, at three months sober. Um, and those are pro-social engagement, so you are um, being active, you're a part of a community, you're a part of something that you belong to. The second is attachment, that's sort of the follow-up to that. You belong to a community that, that is healthy for you. You have a tribe, you have a family, you have something that you are a part of on a day-to-day -day basis that gives you that sense of um, family, community, belonging. The, the third is a positive peer um, group. Um, so much um, in recovery is about people, places, and things. Well, these are the people that you need to find that can replace um, other peer groups that might be um, a risk for you on your recovery path. Um, and then the, the last one is uh, it's, it's very important for both sides of this, prevention or recovery support, um, to have very clear expectations um, and, and sort of clear uh, consequences to not following those. And Phoenix has that as well. There's a code of conduct to be clean and sober for 48 hours. If you are not and you don't follow this conduct, you could be asked to leave or you're going to lose access to this amazing support in your community. So, Scott, can you chime in on that in terms of when, when, when somebody violates the policy, what happens? So when I was in my addiction, the, the social skills I was learning and even in my early childhood trauma, the, the way of interacting and treating others was sort of, that was mutated by, by these experiences that I had. And, and, and so when I got sober, I had to learn these social interactions and how to, how to be supportive of other people. If somebody does struggle, with, with creating that nurturing environment, we might just pull them aside and say, hey, you know, there's plenty of barbells. You don't have to fight a guy over one. <laughs> you know, you, you can have your own. And, um, but also, do you see how that could make him not feel welcome here, the way he reacted? So 
So it seems as though it has the cool factor. Does it have the cool factor? It does. It's very cool in my opinion. I, I watched the, all these videos on Facebook before I ever even met anyone in the program because we all want to be healthy and fit. And these are the, the books that you can look up to and it makes it alluring. It makes recovery sexy. So it's something that we should try to bring to more communities. When I got sober, um, you know, at 24 in Boston, I didn't really, I thought I was the only sober guy in the city of Boston. And I'd watch everybody go out to the clubs at night and, you know, get go out drinking and, and to the colleges. And, and I, there was nothing attractive about being in recovery. And all of a sudden, when I started to see myself as a climber, a mountain biker, a boxer, all this, all these other things, I, I started to think, you know what, I'm, I'm actually pretty cool, <laughs> you know. And, and I had a group that accepted me and I felt welcome. And so that's what we try to create as I think that the life in recovery has got to be better than the life in addiction, or why are we doing it? So, how big is the organization now? So, we've been, in the last 10 years, we've served uh, over 20,000 people with free recovery support. Uh, we're, we're now in um, Massachusetts, uh, Idaho, California, Colorado, and we're in six cities um, in, in those communities. So it's, uh, it's growing, and we plan on expanding more in New England. Uh, we're working on Philadelphia. Uh, lots of folks, including Jessica, want us in D.C. And, um, and we're looking at um, some other communities in Wisconsin and some other spots. So we're continuing to grow the program. So how is it possible to grow the program and yet offer it for free? Economically, that just doesn't add up. Yeah, and that's the part about Phoenix that I'm sort of most proud of, I would say, is that, you know, for, for what it costs to incarcerate four people for a year, we can run a Phoenix chapter and serve thousands. So it's just, hmm. we just need to reframe how we kind of think about approaching this issue. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, recovery support ends up being long-term prevention because we can break that cycle uh, for the next generation if, if they grow up with a parent who's clean and sober um, instead of in an alcoholic home. How much does it, I know it's free for your participants, how much does it cost for you to run the program? And, and really where I'm headed with this is, is for other communities and, and replication in other communities there, Scott. Sure. And I'll, and I'll, I'll sort of frame it this way. There's, we both scale, which means Phoenix expands itself into other communities, but we also replicate where we share with other folks our best practices, what we do. You know, if there's a small group somewhere in Texas that wants to do this, I'd be happy to work with them on giving them the kind of the best practices so they can start a similar type program. Um, there's more barriers if they want it to be a Phoenix, um, but to be a Phoenix multi-sport, you know, we have a couple ways we grow. We have anchor chapters, which are in a major city, they're brick and mortar, and really a hub of recovery. We have community chapters in smaller towns that might have two or three employees. And we have individual instructors that we can you know, set up in a community, and that would just be one person maybe teaching yoga or climbing or one activity. 
recovery. And we do a training for the instructors there, but Phoenix doesn't actually have a physical presence in that community. We're just, we're just mentoring those human strength volunteers. Okay, so let's go through these in a little bit greater detail. Let's start with the anchor. So with an anchor chapter, what, what would they do? What would be their first step in starting one of these programs? I mean, are you, are you taking an existing, first of all, let's talk about the shell, the housing. Are you taking an existing uh, workout facility and then putting a, you know, Mina, excuse me, Phoenix multi-sport on top of that? So that's more the human strength uh, option of using existing infrastructure and starting okay. a volunteer program. Okay. And the beauty about this is it scales. If you're brand new to this and you want to start with partnering with a CrossFit gym with one class a week, it means that a community can start this right now by going to existing um, uh, programs and facilities to see if they can sell this and, and get it going. And then Phoenix can sell um, or can, can provide some of their best practices, that code of conduct, sort of how this works, sort of going to the next level, a community chapter. Wait, before we go. Yeah. So if you wanted to do it in the existing facility that way, human so strength, yeah. human strength, what would it take for that facility? What would they have to do to... Scott, what, what would a, a CrossFit gym have to do to get it started? They would have, they would have to be willing to, <laughs> to put up the coach and instructor, certified coach instructor, um, and give us that class time once a week. And we want people to commit to it for a year. Um, so that's, that's where it starts. And then there would have to be a core group of volunteers, enough volunteers that, that we know that it would happen every week. Um, that it wouldn't be something that, that starts for three or four weeks and then disappears because somebody goes on vacation or something. So we just need the commitment that, that they're in for the whole year. And then we would work with the instructors and the volunteers to do a basic training. So it's free. And so it goes anywhere from that, that sort of easy and low-cost way to initiate a program mm -hmm. with human strength partnering with an existing um, facility or program all the way to an anchor chapter where you have your own building, you have your own program, mm -hmm. there's space for other programming, sort of a community center plus a, a fitness center with all of the Phoenix programming made available. So um, the, what I think is important about this is there's different types of models based on your community, the financial capabilities, where you are with your volunteers, and you can always scale up as time goes on. Wow. That sounds so powerful. If a community wanted to, or group of individuals, leaders in a community, because they're the ones that are going to make the difference here, um, if they wanted to uh, start something, start a program like this, how would they contact you there, Scott, to explore this a little further? Because, uh, you know, we've just kind of scratched the surface so far on this and, and you know, talked about the various options. So what would be their, their first step to to understand those com completely. I think, you know, going, going online and Googling or looking up Phoenix Multisport and, and watching some of the videos that are out there on us. There's uh, our deputy director, Jackie Helios, did a TED Talk. I did one. There's some other content that, that people can scroll through and looking at our website. And if it seems like something that would be a good fit in your community, I think you can, you can reach out to us through info at phoenixmultisport.org and start uh, email communication and, and, and then we kind of grows from there. You know, we like to see people coming to us that have some connection to the philanthropic community. 
So there's a funding opportunity um, that are committed to, to mentoring, you know, the starting of a Phoenix along. Because if if you just if you're just a volunteer or a guy in recovery that wants to start a Phoenix in your town, it's a pretty heavy lift by yourself. So what we want is a, is sort of a network of people that really are galvanized around the idea of bringing Phoenix to a community. And then once the inroads are established in the philanthropic community, Phoenix can come in and help in those conversations, help raise the funds to, to start the program. Great. Fantastic. So now I'd like to um, move on over and, and talk, if you could, a little bit, Scott, about some of your successes. I would imagine over the course of the last 10 years, there's got to be a few successes that just stand out in your mind. Can you share one or two with us? I can only imagine that's got to be just very, very rewarding for you. So, stats. Most programs today, um, everything is evidence-based. Do you have any statistics to share with us? Above and beyond, obviously, you've got so many participants, and it's grown over the course of the last 10 years unbelievably. Um, how about success and stats there? Anything? Yeah, well, we did, you know, we did a survey that, that showed that we had a, a 23% relapse rate, which is incredibly um, in, in the addiction recovery space. Um, but more important to that, that the, the data that we got back from that survey showed that people felt like if they did relapse, they would be accepted back at Phoenix. Because I think it's shortening, short, shortening the duration of relapse if they happen is really the critical piece. And I think when you are connected to to a community that supports you and believes in you and you feel welcomed even when you have failures, um, it, it will get you back in. Maybe we could turn that to two-year relapse into 
Yeah, that's very helpful, and um, yeah. I think, I think being welcoming and bringing people back into the fold as quickly as possible, as Scott said, like any other chronic illness, recurrence happens, mm -hmm. um, and I think that we need to wrap folks up and support them to get them back in recovery as soon as we can, instead of stepping away from them when that recurrence happens, because because it will. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that part of Phoenix that. Uh, Scott's right, turning into a two-year relapse into a two-day relapse is a much better way to, to handle that. It's amazing. Yeah. So, and 23% relapse, that's... That a 77% success rate with no reoccurrence. And that's almost flipping yeah. what the numbers are out there in, in, in mass. So that's, that's just amazing. Well, Scott, thank you for spending time with us today and, and sharing your amazing story, and the amazing story of Phoenix Multisport. Before we leave, do you have any final comments for our listeners? Well, I, I always like to share that if you're out there listening and you're, and you're active in your addiction, just, just I want you to know that recovery is possible and that, that even if Phoenix Multisport isn't in your community, we're still here for you. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook or online, and, and and I believe in you, and I know you can beat this. And there was a time that I didn't think I could, but but it is possible. And um, I also want to say to loved ones that are out there that, that have somebody who is struggling, um, that, that you can also come check out Phoenix if you want. Just have 48 hours clean and sober and adhere to that code of conduct because um, you need nurturing and support just like folks that are out there and their disease do. So allies um, of recovery are welcome to come to Phoenix if they adhere to the same code of conduct. Um, and then if you want to learn more, go to phoenixmultisport.org. And I wouldn't be a good executive director if I didn't mention you can also donate there. Um, so it's always great for us to get donations to support our general operating and, and our programs. Outstanding. Thanks very much, Scott. We've been visiting today with Scott Strode, who is the founder of Phoenix Multisport, an amazing program which now is serving over 19,000 participants across the country in four different states and six major metropolitan areas. And according to Scott, in one of his TEDx talks, they're expanding throughout the world, right? This is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.